Hello, I'm Linda McGlasson, and this is the Information Security Media Group's podcast series with information security luminaries and leaders in the financial services industry. Today, we're speaking with Rhonda McLean, CEO of McLean Risk Partners. Rhonda has more than 25 years of IT industry experience and is a well-known entity at the C-level. She is considered one of information security's thought leaders. Rhonda also travels the globe consulting for Fortune-ranked business enterprises, governments, industry associations, and risk management solution companies. Her complete bio is also available on our website. Welcome, Rhonda. Well, thank you, Linda. It's nice to be here. I'll get right to the questions. Okay. What are some of the constants, and you're obviously, with your years of experience, uh, seen many of them, but what are we still dealing with uh, the problems that you had back in the early days and in terms of information security and risk? And is the TJX data breach uh, that just recently hit the headlines a glimpse of what we can expect to happen when security and operational risk management doesn't occur? Well, I'd like to uh, I'd like to say that I, it'd be nice if we didn't see those kinds of things occur, but I think we will continue to see them, and I, I think this is where the challenge lies. And, uh, you know, TJ Maxx is just one of the companies that have, you know, we've had recent headlines uh, over this last year. Uh, you know, you can go back and look at the Department of Veterans Affairs and the big data loss that occurred there. Um, also, I guess in in February, the Justice Department's Inspector General's office reported that the FBI had lost 160 of their laptops uh, between February of 2002 and September 2005. So nobody's immune to this. And I think it goes back to the beginning of your first question is, what is constant and what needs to be constant? And it's the fundamentals. I think that in many ways we, we have uh, continued to struggle with what are the basics? What are the basic things we need to do? And, you know, it's about risk management, not about risk elimination. Obviously, in the environment we live in, we can't eliminate risk. So we can start by thinking about the basic fundamentals that we've known for a long time we need to do. And that revolves around three key elements. Those are people, process, and technology. It takes all of those working together to deal with the threats and the risks that we have today. So from a people standpoint, if we look at that, do, do we know who's having access to our systems? Are people trained? Do they know, are they aware of what they need to do and why they need to do it? Um, do we have good relationships and processes in place? So if we are uh, doing business internal and we have a breach, do we have a good crisis management process in place? Do we have a process for vetting people who have access to our systems? Do we have, um, you know, reporting mechanisms that we make sure that the, the controls and the processes that we put in place are working and they're in compliance? So can we measure that? And then there's technology, and technology is a key part of that. Um, you know, having good access control software, having encryption, which is basic and fundamental when I think of the laptops. Uh, the lost laptops. It's just in today's environment, it's beyond me to understand why anyone would not encrypt their laptop. It just seems so basic and fundamental uh, to lock that down because they are so mobile. 
and as we, we get more and more sensitive data on um, mobile devices such as Blackberries and our cell phones, we may contain, you know, which may contain customer information or or uh, prospect information or all kinds of valuable information. What are we doing to protect those? So it, it is about doing the basics. I do see a, a change, however, that instead of just looking at network security and thinking about firewalls and perimeter controls, I do see more and more emphasis going on that data. And I think that's heading us into the right direction. And that's to support the business of the future and the businesses we're doing it today, which is globally, which means we need to have access and access by, by people who may not work within our walls of our companies. Uh, so geographically, uh, the walls have come down because the technology and the way that our business is going, that's what we need to do, and we need to enable those, those uh, transactions to happen. We just have to have good people, process, and technology in place to assure that we can do it effectively. Okay. Um, what do you, we were, you, you mentioned emerging threats, uh, I think. Um, what would you recommend financial institutions do to further their research perspectives on emerging threats and solutions? Well, I think there's a lot that they can afford themselves of that, that is already out there. There's some great uh, threat reports that are produced by a number of sources that they can have access to. Uh, the Semantic Corporation does a, a wonderful report uh, that you can get right off their website that they keep up to date. The Anti-Phishing Working Group has information that you can get. Uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, University and the Scilab and the CERT program has some tremendous information on, on threats. And I think that, um, you know, making sure that you afford yourself taking, you know, taking advantage of really what's out there and available really gives you a good handle on where the industries, where the threats are going and, and what people are seeing. And I think another really important thing is to become part of the financial uh, institutions sharing mechanisms, whether it's through the, uh, the ISAC capability that the financial institutions have put in place or just through your network of reaching out through organizations such as uh, the Financial Services Roundtable and BITS or um, the FSTC, which is, is a great technology research uh, arm of the financial industry. So there's a lot of available resources out there. You just need to become active and take advantage of them. And I think you said the key word is active. That is a key word, active. Um, in terms of customers' trust in the financial services industry as a whole, um, and then also especially where online banking is concerned, are we facing more problems uh, due to the influx of botnets, phishing, malware, and keyloggers? And what more than multi-factor authentication can and should be done? And then finally, um, is mutual authentication the next obvious step, step for most institutions? Well, there's a lot of parts to that question. So let's start with just customer confidence and online banking and, and using online services in general. Um, I think that the banks, um, the banks have, I think, been a little bit ahead of the game in, in the sense that um, they've been in the business of selling trust for years, and I think they've clearly understood that good controls need to be in place. 
Uh, again, it's about risk management and not risk elimination, but it's keeping abreast of what those risks are and the threats are, and then adjusting your program. It's not about being static. What maybe you did a year ago might not be enough today, depending on what you're seeing. So that monitoring of activity and, and uh, watching if you're having problems or your customers are having problems. Uh, the FFIEC's um, recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, put out a, a new uh, requirement, letter really requiring two-factor authentication, and really understanding the risk around how are you controlling the risk. And I think all the banks have, are going through that process of really assessing their risk and applying what is appropriate controls based on uh, their own customer environment and, and controls that they may have in place. I actually think that one of the things the industry uh, also can keenly take advantage of is that customers who do online banking typically check their account balances more often and may actually detect if they have a problem, unlike customers who wait for a statement and maybe don't recognize they have a problem uh, for a few days. But I think the more and more customers do things electronically, um, they can watch their balances, they can watch transactions, they can watch activity. And I think the customers are an important part of this. I think, you know, helping us um, know when there might be a problem. So online banking actually offers our customers a lot of advantage in the financial industry, I think, um, to do that, to be a part of that, an active part of that. Um, the other part of your question about mutual authentication um, I think that, you know, customers like convenience and, and being able to uh, get online very quickly and very safely is a key is a key factor. And uh, I think that it's important that as we uh, allow transactions to occur, whether it's on the consumer side or on the commercial side, making sure that, that if we are handing off transactions, such as wire transfers, that we have effective mutual cross-authentication for those things to occur. Okay. Um, I've got a kind of a curveball here for you. What keeps you awake at night in terms of uh, information security uh, in within your practice and also what you're seeing? Well, what I'm seeing, I'd say, um, I, I think that there's a, a real th a threat out there that we haven't seen uh, to its fullest extent yet, and that is the botnets. I believe you, you mentioned that earlier. Um, I recently was in Australia and uh, met with a number of uh, the folks in the financial industry in Australia, and uh, back in early December, there was um, a denial of service attack, which, which really says we're trying to prevent, that we'll flood the, um, flood the network with so much traffic that no one can, can get to a, uh, to a site, so they can virtually uh, make a site inaccessible. And I think that, uh, you know, this would be very, I think, unsettling to, uh, to all the institutions as well as the regulators and, and really everybody if we really saw that type of targeted attack against the uh, financial sector. This is where I think there needs to be a strong, strong continuing uh, public-private partnership between the financial industry and Department of Homeland Security and Critical Infrastructure Protection. And when you put this globally, I think it, it, in global terms, it means that we also have to have effective treaties in place so that if we see this 
internationally that we have a mechanism to respond to it very quickly and all the players uh, know what their role is and how we're going to make this work and uh, and really address the issue. I think uh, it could be, uh, to me, that would be a, a, a very scary situation indeed if we, we had a real concerted, targeted attack against the financial industry. Okay, and um, you were talking about sharing information across borders. Um, here within our own borders, what would you like to see in terms of sharing best practices and expectations between the regulatory bodies, both federal and state, and those financial institutions out there? Well, I think the financial industry is doing a really uh, pretty good job in this area. Um, you know, I think this is an effective uh, where, where we've put in associations such as uh, the Financial Services Roundtable, the American Bankers Association. And I think what we've put together um, in, back in 2002 with the Financial Services Sector Coordinating Council, which really brings together all the associations as well as the utilities and the institutes which do our training in the financial industry uh, to work together. And they meet on a very regular basis. And they co-meet with the FFIEC and the FIBIC, really the FIBIC members, uh, which is a, made up of our, our regulators in this industry. And having that dialogue, that constant dialogue, I think is important of, um, you know, enhancing that partnership because it is really a two-way street. We, we really are interdependent on one another to, to really address the risk that we're facing. And uh, that structure seems to have been working. Out of that has come a number of initiatives, including the Financial Services uh, Information Sharing and Analysis Center, which is the FSISAC, which does a lot of the threat sharing. Um, there's also some great work that has been done, I believe, in the anti-money laundering area, as well as the privacy area, and just operational risk management in general through some of these associations and memberships and collaboration between the institutions. Okay, and finally, your words of advice to the information security professionals out there uh, in financial institutions? Well, continue to grow and continue to develop strong relationships within your own organizations to uh, really become a part of the business and the business solution and helping the business enable uh, new ways and innovative ways of delivering banking and finance services to to the customers, but also uh, make those connections on the outside. Keep very current about what's going on and very vigilant. And, um, you know, never let your, never get discouraged. Uh, this is a great uh, opportunity and it's a great career path for people. Uh, risk is something and, and security and business continuity, all those things that go into the operational risk scheme, those are great career opportunities. It's like pay, playing chess. You you can learn something new every day, and the game changes. And uh, you can only get better at it and uh, find new and exciting things to do. Thank you, Rhonda, uh, for sharing your thoughts with us today. And we'll uh, come back to you later on to uh, hear more of your insight. Um, 
I'm Linda McGlasson, and this has been another Information Security Media Group podcast. Look for more interviews with the luminaries of information security in the financial services industry on our website. That's all for now.